0: Dread. God.
1: Ferguson, Herman, Hacker, illegal tampering with city droids, computers, cash machines, taxi robots. And you haven't even been out of jail for twenty-four hours. He's a habitual her. She automatic five-year sentence. How do you plead? Not guilty. I knew you'd say that. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a podcast where we talk about movies. And specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 52. The movie that we watched this week was Judge Dredd. And joining me, I have from the More You Nerd podcast, Drew Burris.
0: Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Hi. And also from Soundography, Hammond Chamberlain.
0: Hello. How are you?
1: I am doing well. Uh, so, Judge Dredd, uh, 1995, Sylvester Stallone. Had Neither of you had seen this before, correct? Correct. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite something. We're, are either of you familiar with the comic at all that this is based on?
2: I have never read... Uh, yeah, I've never read a Judge Dredd comic. Mm. Uh, I am passingly familiar with the character. Just, I know about Mega City One. I know... He never takes the helmet off in 40 years of the comic having happened, uh, but he can't make it 40 minutes in the movie without taking the helmet off.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and, and that's about all I really know about it.
1: Okay, how about you, Hammond?
0: My only familiarity with familiarity, my only awareness, let's use that word, <laughs> uh, of the show was uh, based on the Anthrax song, I Am the Law. Okay. Other than that, I was clueless.
1: That's a... That's pretty good, though. Um, yeah, so, Drew, you're right. In the 40-something years that the the comic has been going on, or 30, 40 years, whatever it is, um, never taken the helmet off, uh, made it... I, I think I wrote down the timestamp in my notes. It was uh 16, uh, 16 minutes, minute, 24 seconds. Yes, <laughs> and he's got the helmet off, and it's barely back on for the rest of the movie. Um, uh, it
2: goes back on at an hour and eight minutes, <laughs> and it almost immediately comes back off.
1: Yeah, and, oh, man, it... So that, that alone bothered me. I, I'm not super into the comic. Like, I didn't read a lot of AD. I didn't I didn't know. I knew of the comic. I knew of the character. Um, I had seen this movie. And that bothers me just from an adaptation standpoint of, like, if you're a writer and you're adapting something, try to stay somewhat true to the source material. I get it, though, in that the studio isn't going to have Sylvester Stallone wearing a helmet where you can't see half of his face for the entirety of the movie.
2: At least not in 1995.
1: Right, not in 1995 at all. Um, on top of that, uh, I really got tired of seeing Stallone's eyes with those contacts he was wearing, because he does not have blue eyes, and they're they're just like piercing blue throughout the whole movie.
2: I didn't know that was Stallone's. Uh, oh, that's that's so strange to me because <laughs> they were so weird. Why would? Okay, this I, just makes this is a whole other question. Why would they take the time to do that? <laughs> For a character, do we know Judge Dredd's eye color because he wears the helmet all the time in the comics? I Th- don't why think so. They take that step.
1: I don't uh, know, And not only that, but uh, Armando Sante has brown eyes as well, so he had blue contacts in the movie. And:
0: <laughs> You guys have heard of the thin blue line of law enforcement. Maybe that's what they're representing.
1: Wow, that's you're putting a lot of thought into that, and I think way more than they put into it. Because
2: I, I, I have a feeling it's probably with the whole genetic engineering side plot. That oh no no oh
1: oh okay that makes sense then because Max von Sydow was the DNA they based him on. He's got blue eyes. Okay.
0: Mm. And All
1: you right. You
2: can't ask Max von Sydow to wear brown contacts. The, the no. man just won't do it. No. No. Very difficult to work with, by your Max von Sydow.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so casting. So Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd. I think, number one, you're trying to put a bankable star in there. Okay, that's fine. And Stallone was huge. He was coming off uh, Demolition Man was two years earlier. That was a fairly decent hit, um, if I remember correctly. I know it was, like, marketed everywhere. Uh, This movie, not so much. But you put a bankable star in there, you get Stallone. Um, I do think it's hilarious because... How tall do you think Sylvester Stallone is? If you don't already know,
0: isn't he like six foot right around there? Okay, how have? about you, Drew? What I, do you think?
2: I know that he is shorter than he typically appears. They, they do a lot of uh, apple crate. Yes, work so in his movies. there's
1: a moment in the movie where they um, Hershey uh, Diane Lane's character is looking at a picture of the two of them, um, him and Rico, and the computer tells her that Rico is 200 centimeters tall, so about six and a half feet tall. Um, and they're supposed to be genetic clones, right? So, by extension, you can guess that that dread is supposed to be about six and a half feet tall in this movie. Sylvester so Stallone is five foot ten.
0: I knew he wasn't tall.
1: They make him look That's like, like, like he towers over Diane Lane. Diane Lane is five foot seven, right? Yeah, He's.
0: They have him in, oh, I know. Are...
1: <laughs> well, and the way he stands too—like he stands pole straight throughout the entire movie,
0: and with with his arms slightly out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's got to make room for the the eagle shoulder pads. That I know.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, is there is there a less intimidating costume for law enforcement than the Judge Dread costume in this movie? Like the judges, they're wearing basically a spandex bodysuit and some plastic armor. And oh,
0: they look like, they look like uh, American gladiators. <laughs> they do. I'm going to be honest. This
2: is the one uh, one of the few things that I I will defend in this. I think the production value of the costumes pretty good in this i mean it's it's 1995 and i have a thing about movies from the late 90s especially big budget action films like this they kind of they go to a cartoony area Mm -hmm. that that a lot of movies past that especially post 9-11 stay away from after that it all became real and grounded and I think even the X-Men movies that were that were before that started like the black leather trend mm-hmm. where if there were if, if the X-Men movie came out in 1995, it would have been yellow spandex and big well, shoulder pads. Remember
0: X-Force when it came out on Fox Network and they, it was like it was like uh, Neon Central up in there. I don't remember that. I was remember that um, Generation X? Yeah, Generation I mean, that's X. That's Generation okay. X. That's what it was.
1: Yeah. That's what it was. No, you're, you're right. And And Drew, you're right. Like there was this move in the late 90s to go to moving towards a grittier realism. Um, and this movie definitely didn't do that. But I had a note um to myself like right away. The the movie opens with that flyover of Mega City One, which you're trying to hook people right away and give the idea of how big this city is. And honestly, I felt like Blade Runner made a mega city better fifteen almost fifteen years earlier than this movie. It was like thirteen years earlier. Looked to me more realistic as a giant LA like mega city than this did. For the most part I, but, but that's I just me say,
0: Ho-
2: wholeheartedly agree
0: with that but okay. i will I will say that image where the 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 plane lands and the guy staying there in the wind whipping around on the coat and the whole bit that first image is actually really pretty good
1: mm-hmm oh um, no that is yeah, yeah. For sure well, there's,
0: there's some, there, regardless of how good or bad this movie is every now and then it allows glimmers of actual talent to creep in
1: oh definitely no there's there is some um.
0: I think it's just they wanted the street level stuff
2: to feel cramped and contained, and why you have all these gang wars breaking out and all of this stuff. the The problem is, it seems like they only built one street, and yeah. therefore they have to make that one set work for everything else. Mm-hmm. So you don't get you don't get this too much of this like flying over everything look at the city and it's also very obviously a matte painting for most of it yeah. which is fine i'm okay with that but it's 1995 you have to expect that sort of thing but
0: well tim burton actually suffered from the one two street uh problem with the first batman film because gotham only has two blocks on it it looked like i mean because you pass that <laughs> same theater and the batman be like four times yeah that's true <laughs>
1: you know and i get and that when you're
0: not batman at all i'm just mm-hmm. saying that sometimes budgets are budgets
1: yes yeah, and this this movie had a ninety million dollar budget in nineteen ninety five, so it was definitely big budget. It was that's not quite um, Waterworld budget level, but not that far off. And I I have to wonder where some of it went because you're right. It does feel and and that's that's the the downside of shooting on a soundstage, right? All those street scenes are yeah. done on soundstage, um, and if you're trying to make it look like you're incorporating the entire city it's going to really be difficult to make that work on a soundstage. Um, but there was, there was some really good work done in this. The, the puppet for that ABC drum robot, the, the big war mech, that thing was yeah. phenomenal. Like that, that was great. awesome. Yeah. That was and, awesome. And
0: production design was really, really good.
1: Yes. The design of it was great. And they, they were like um, the director of this, Danny Cannon, who I, who I do want to talk about in a little bit, but he, he was really adamant, and I wanted it to be a full-size, like, real puppet. And so they had, I think it was like five puppeteers to do that. And the other design thing I loved was um, Mean Machine, the the guy with the big metal arm.
2: Oh. With the dial on his forehead? Yeah, with
1: the dial on yeah. his forehead. Like, it's but, a goofy character. That whole family is crazy. But he looked really good, and the voice fit his character, I thought, really well. Like, I, I liked him. for his. who go- they reminded me of? Cool. I don't know if
0: this is this is a weird reference, but they reminded me of the Peacock family from uh, that episode of the X Files with the with all the inbreeding.
1: A little bit, yeah. I can get that, and I had completely forgotten because I've seen this movie a few times. I had completely forgotten Ewan Bremner was in this for that short little bit of time as uh, the youngest, um, the youngest one, the one with the kind of disfigured face. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and Bremner, who uh, you know, he he's that that guy you see in stuff all the time. And I'm,
2: I'm, I'm gonna look him up real quick. Yeah. Oh, he's in Train Spotting. He was. Yeah, uh, Train
1: Spotting. He's in. Uh, I mean, he. Wonder he, Woman. He pops up in a bunch of stuff, um, but I had completely forgotten that he was in this. You know, I knew. I remembered Stallone, Diane Lane, Rob Schneider. <sighs> Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Mm-hmm. Oh. Let's. Uh, w- are,
2: are, are Rob Schneider and? Go ahead, Hammond. I
0: kept waiting for him to yell, you can do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, are Rob Schneider and Sylvester Stallone buddies? They were both in Demolition Man not that long before this.
1: No, uh, maybe. So from the trivia and things that I read, um, Stallone handpicked Schneider to be in this after the first choice had passed. Um, and the first choice to play that role was Joe Pesci interesting which is very very different but um yeah schneider in this is he's there as comic relief the character apparently from what i was reading the character in the the comics is very different it's based on an actual character um but he he's just there for comic relief and look i i don't hate rob schneider when he shows up in a movie but for me, he's always he. I kind of have a uh, a love hate relationship with him, much like Will Ferrell. For me, like Will Ferrell, for me works when he's in a small role, when he doesn't have mm-hmm. a whole lot of screen time, and he can he can utilize that little bit of screen time, do something crazy, and then be out of the movie. Like Frank the Tank is a good role for Will Ferrell. Um, for the most part, he he. There are exceptions to my rule there, but Schneider is kind of the same way. Like. As cheesy and and horrible as the movie Surf Ninjas is, I liked Rob Schneider in it because he just had this small little role. He got to do like a couple of goofy things and, and for the most part wasn't in it that much.
2: Um, um, I'm sorry. Every time Surf Ninjas is brought up, I am legally contractually required to...
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad we could fulfill that. <laughs> um, but he... Man, he was just in this too much and too too much forced humor um from him and and when rob schneider is forcing things it's bad like he's already forcing a lot of humor when he's on screen
2: there are a lot of forced humor moments that just do not land that someone thought oh this will be funny oh this will be funny every time they talk about a an intersection in the city streets it's always a a comedy duo
1: yep Mm -hmm. Yeah, Burns, uh, Burns and Allen. And Allen. Yep. Uh, Abbott yeah, Abbott and Costello. Like, oh man. So, so
0: uh, b- before we get too far into that part of it, I do mm-hmm. want to say that I feel like this movie really wanted to do the the satirical send up of the future that RoboCop did. It's just it's not Paul Verhoeven doing it. Okay. So it fell sideways and not forward. Yes. Yeah, so it, yeah, it missed to mark every single time.
1: So RoboCop borrowed a lot from Judge Dredd mm-hmm. and it had Judge everything that I've done or that, all the research that I've done on the comic is it's very it's that same satirical look at kind of authoritarianism and the future and all that and so Robocop borrowed a ton of that and made that movie that's actually why this movie didn't get made until 95 they were they wanted to make one in the mid to late 80s and the rumor God, at the that time that would have worked that would have worked yes and the rumor at the time was going to be Harrison Ford as Judge Dredd
2: I don't know that that would have
1: worked. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> they had to push it back because there was too many similarities with RoboCop, and RoboCop was so popular at the time, so they pushed it back. So originally, Danny Cannon, the director, wanted he, he loved the, the, the comic, and he wanted to make that very RoboCop style, that very super violent, super satirical, Paul Verhoeven type of thing. That's what, That's the movie he wanted to make. The studio and Stallone, didn't want that they wanted it to be uh something with more humor and um pg-13 so this movie was rated r
2: which i was surprised at yes record i was trying to find where that rating was earned in this entire movie
1: yeah and like the closest they get to something r-rated even 1995 r-rated uh is like the the robot ripping the guy's arm off which even that all you see is some blood hit the floor like most of the violence is just people falling down from a gunshot. You don't see a ton yeah. of blood. It's... I don't.
2: There's, no there's the yeah, there's the bloody wound on the wall when the the guy gets shot in the beginning. There's mm-hmm. no sex. There's just an awkward kiss.
1: No, no, there isn't no. really any any nudity see, either. We
0: don't see clone. We don't see clone junk when before he Yells send in the clones. Oh. <laughs> I had to write down because it's the worst joke in the entire film.
1: Oh man. And that's 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 a high bar to clear when you're saying worst joke in the film. Uh, And uh, what was it? it? There's
2: there's also just a bunch of it's interesting that you talk about Stallone not wanting to do something in the studio, not wanting to do something, because, again, I'm not super familiar with the comics and maybe somebody in the the, the chat will will know more about this. There seemed a lot more rah, rah, Americana. We represent freedom and Mm -hmm.
0: and not persecution. It, it did feel super jingoistic, like like right on the heels. Like I would have expected this movie could be made right on the heels of 9/11 to kind of be part part of a propaganda buildup. Yeah, yeah. Just it's just something that
2: because it I, again I don't know if that stuff is in the comics, but it doesn't feel like it's in the comics, especially if it was a a principal uh, source for. Oh, and Miles in the chat room that's in the comic, but represented more as a problem, mm. uh, which which is probably where the creator wanted to take it. The director wanted to take it, but uh,
1: hmm. yeah.
2: see again, this is where you talk about Robocop in 1980. I'm sorry. I don't remember versus 1995. What are they going to spend the money on that with your, with Sylvester Stallone playing a horrible judge that kills people. Right. What that basically is.
1: Yeah, no, he's terrible. And uh, so I mentioned it had a $90 million budget. Can you guess what the domestic grosses were for this movie
0: twenty five million It's a good guess. I have it called
2: up, so i uh <laughs> okay
1: thirty four just under thirty five million
2: Oof.
1: and uh hundred and thirteen worldwide so uh a bomb um is a pretty good pretty generous way to put that, and that's i mean I feel bad for the director because everything that I read about him was that he he uh hated working on this movie he did not have a good relationship with Stallone he wasn't allowed back on set for the reshoots Ooh, that's like that one. that's never a good thing when you're when you're reading about that uh your director is not allowed back on the set for the reshoots of his movie so you know I feel bad for him he actually went on to he directed another um movie a couple years later, I still know what you did last summer, the sequel to the movie with a terribly long name, which wasn't great. Um, It was a very by-the-numbers slasher movie. But he moved on to do a lot of TV, um, especially uh, producing. So Danny Cannon, um, if you're at all plugged into, like, the TV world, you probably have seen some – I mean, you've seen something that he's done. He was a a producer for um, CSI for the first, like, seven or eight seasons – um, really big in bringing that Gotham was another one of his, um, oh, he executive produced 81 episodes of that and Pennyworth he's doing now. And he moved on to do a lot of, uh, television directing as well. So he sort of found his stride, which is great. Um, the tomorrow people, Nikita, like a few kind of shows that at least were around for a couple of years.
2: Um, a lot, again, a lot of people take more risks in TV than they do in movies, especially when you're talking about that much money. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: yeah, that and that's the big thing. You know, he had done a couple of movies, did Judge Dread, Phoenix, and I still know what you did last summer, and that was pretty much it. He went right, right into TV and stuck with that uh, for the rest of it. And, you know, good on him, but it's just rough to, to read about, like, making a movie. And this guy, you know, he's fairly young and really wants to make a movie. He's got a really good idea of something that, honestly, if it's done right, I think could be could be really good, and just runs into Sylvester Stallone in the mid '90s. Who, you know, he's he's not an actor at that point; he's a movie star, so he gets to call a lot of the shots.
2: And that's clear watching this. And and what what's the most maybe unfortunate thing about this is that Stallone does not seem to care about anything that's going on in this. the The truest performance he gives is when he's doing. One-liners that seem completely out of character Mm -hmm. for this character. Yeah, and 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 any so so, Stallone plays Judge Dread, who is a judge who has a huge respect for the law and the organization that he is a part of. But Mm -hmm. when the when it's time to to when the judges come after him because he's been accused of this crime and. No matter how guilty it was, blah blah blah. He's then all of a sudden starts turning on them, throwing out like he, they're they're chasing him on a flying motorcycle. He's like, "This is where you get off, creep." Yeah. That. So you're just killing your your buddies that some of which you probably trained because you worked at the the
0: institute the the the, the academy.
1: Yeah. No, he he's looked at as a legend among amongst the judges and and then that you know here.
0: That brings me to my thing that I noticed Jonathan. that there are more hero shots of him walking around <laughs> like us panning up from his knees, through his crotch, up through his chest, up mm-hmm. to his nose. More shots of that than in a Michael Bay film. There are so many hero shots of this thing. It, no wonder the director got tired of working with him. I don't want to I don't want to pan up a guy walking around for an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, especially then, not in I, spandex.
2: And I took special note, they specifically credited in the opening credits the person who created the Judge Dredd costume in mm-hmm. the opening credits. Yeah. Which is something I have never seen before.
1: That The only other movie I've ever seen that credited that much on costuming was um, The Fifth Element. Hmm. That um, makes sense. And But those costumes were incredible and this costume yeah, looked...
0: especially the toilet paper wrapped around the girl I mean, <laughs> <two> <laughs> but but again in, in that case was it
2: costuming by or was it like in this movie and the judge dread costume credited to
1: that's true that that, that was like costumes in general and yeah. and this was yeah you're right and I did notice that that they they credited that you know Back so <laughs> yeah Exactly. And it's supposed to be some sort of bulletproof armor because at the, there's the one scene where he's in the academy and he's, you know, it starts off with him firing at the armor and he mentions what it is, you know, yours if, when you graduate that, that whole bit. Yeah. And that armor didn't stop a single bullet for the entirety of the movie unless it was being worn <laughs> by dread.
2: Oh, yours when you graduate. Yeah. And then yours, the bike doesn't work. The if gl- you graduate. Yeah. And the yours, bike, if you could get it to work.
1: Yeah, the bike doesn't work unless it's dread, at the you know at the climax when he needs it, like after that, he hits it on yeah. the <laughs> yeah that dude had the the best impenetrable plot armor I've ever seen.
2: I wonder if that's also a a a finances thing because I'm pretty sure Judge Dredd flies a flying motorcycle all the time in the comics, and they probably just couldn't get the budget to make the motorcycle fly around all the time. I don't know what well.
1: Uh, I mean, they didn't have the budget to make it fly around at all because those shots were terrible. Like, yes, yeah. I mean, so, I've seen some bad green screen, but who So the, movie- the
0: motorcycles looked really, really dumb because they were so top-heavy and so wide, and they had little bitty, like, dirt bike tires on them. They should have made them, I don't know, snowmobiles or something to make the, the base look wider because yeah. with the little skinny tires, they just looked dumb. <laughs>
1: well, and I guess um, for the stunt work... The stuntmen were the only one allowed to ride the actual bikes. They had like a moped version for Stallone and others to ride around, so it was a, a lot less powerful. <laughs> so that sort of fits with what you're saying. But you're right; like that, the design visually works until you actually see it move, and then you're like, "No, that yeah. thing would just fall over." There's no balance to it at all.
0: Yeah. And I, before we move on to too much further in the show, name of the guy that he was allegedly. Uh he was ale- he allegedly killed. What's his name?
1: Uh, Varden. Was that his name? No,
0: no, no the reporter dude.
1: Oh, the the uh, the actor or the character?
0: The character name.
1: Uh, what the hell was it? Wow, Vart- it was, so, it was so important to
2: the movie that I don't remember. <laughs>
1: Vardis Hammond. Yep. Hey, there we go. We got our Hammond connection. <laughs> Um,
0: he spared no expense on that apartment, by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: um, so one thing that I like to do is always I, I like to try and find an actor um, in the movie that we're covering that I've covered in previous episodes, and as I get more and more episodes in, it's a little easier. But um, Jürgen Prochnow, who was Judge Griffin, um, he was in he played um, Sutter Kane in in The Mouth of Madness we covered uh, back last year, and I like him a lot. Um, he was in uh, Das Boot. He was in Beerfest. He's one of those. Uh, he always he. I love his accent. For the most part, like ninety percent of him in this movie, I liked, except for one bit, and it was w- another one of those horrendously awful lines, which I want to talk about in a second. But I have to play this for you because this is this is as tropey an action movie moment as you can find, and it's. Uh, It's when he is unlocking the Janus files, and then um, this happens. You have just sealed your fate. No. You
0: have just sealed yours.
1: It's just, oh.
0: What a Boris and Natasha moment. (laughs) I know. know.
2: And that's, hearing lines like that, I was ready to come in here and say, you know, some of this movie would be salvageable if you had somebody other than Stallone. In the lead role, giving just a garbage performance. I I don't know that that's true.
1: No. So, still, first of all, I think one major issue with this movie is that your two leads need to say the word "law," and ugh. one of one of them physically can't say it, and the other one refuses to pronounce it properly. Oh, um, law. <laughs> You know, Stallone's got his, uh, because of that slight paralyzation he's got to his face, the word law is really hard for him, so it always came out, bleh. And Armando Asante, who we haven't even talked about yet, except for mentioning that he had brown eyes, is he's he is overacting to a point where Al Pacino would be like, dude, dude, calm down. Like,
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest watching this movie. I... I have to constantly look at IMDb while we're doing this tonight because I only know the names of three characters in this movie. I know Dread, I know Hershey, yeah, <laughs> and Judge Rico Suave. Oh, and that's and those are the only names that I honestly remember. I because I look at that, I see Max von Sydow. I don't know what Max von Sydow's character is because it just wasn't important for the sake of the movie. There.
0: Uh,
1: he no, and what's that? He was colitis. Yeah.
0: That's what he was.
1: Yeah.
0: To reach back to the Flash Gordon, Planet Fabulous
2: movie. Uh, he was Judge Fargo. Did not know that until right now.
1: <laughs> and look, he he's great, but it's Max von Sydow. Sydow. I've yet to see him in something where he wasn't good. The movie might not be good, but he's always good. Um, Diane Lane was fine. As Judge Hershey, like her character, had very little to do.
2: Uh, Diane Lane in another bad comic book movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that does happen. Um,
2: oh wait, was she a Martha? She yep. was Martha. Martha. She Martha was Martha. the Martha.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, let's be buddies now.
2: Well, and, and uh, she is also at- <laughs> she is also attached to uh, the Why the Last Man TV series to play oh, Martha. Uh, York's mother.
1: Hmm, boy. Um, yeah, Armand DeSante, like, he's not a bad actor, but he was bad in this. There's there's melodrama, and there's overacting, and then there's what he did, and it was just crazy. Um, the other one I did want to mention, because I think he has the greatest name ever, is Balthazar Getty, who played a character called Ol- um, Olmeyer. It's just the name. I, I saw that in the opening credits, and I wrote. I actually wrote myself a note, like, Balthazar Getty is a great name. <laughs> um,
0: I did want to bring up real quick, too, that the car that he blows up looked really, really stupid, but it was playing Rob Zombie, so I'll give it a pass. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was playing Rob Zombie. It was supposed to kind of look like a Lamborghini Countach, only it looked like somebody had been told what a Lamborghini Countach looked like and then designed wow. that car. Yes. <laughs> um, so, okay. We talked a little bit about the writing in this movie and it's not good. But here's the thing. The writer oh, no. you know who's credited for the, the script in this is Stephen E. Souza And if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, I guarantee you've seen at least one movie he has written. Um he wrote the 48 screenplay.
0: Hours, not forty eight hours.
1: Die Hard. Well, forty eight hours is one. Commando, uh, running man, Die Hard, Die Hard Two. Um Mel Hudson Hawk. Um, <laughs> he he's written a lot of stuff, uh, not all of it good. <laughs> um, he also directed uh, Street Fighter. So, oh, 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 oh. wow! Yeah. Wait, wait,
0: wait, let's all, all, all stop. He worked on the Powers of Matthew Star. <laughs> that makes him a hero in my book because okay. I loved that show when I was a kid.
1: Well, there you go. See, so. It, And that's where you can see some of the influence of like a Stallone and that movie star thing, because obviously this is somebody who knows how to write an action movie. I mean, say what you want about Commando, but it's it's fine. Uh, Die Hard is a great screenplay. Um, But Stallone came in, you know, throwing his weight around. He had to have been. Um, And, you know, he wanted more humor. And, man, it just it made for some just cringy moments in this.
2: Because you, you look at that character and you think this is not a character that will make a one-liner. Right. And and Stallone insists on this all the time. All the jokes in this movie, I don't know of a single one that landed. We talked about the street names. There's, And I'm sure this is also from the comics. I don't know. the The penitentiary is in Aspen, Colorado, <laughs> which knowing that how much hollywood loves aspen colorado i know was I, I had a feeling was was part of that i just
0: uh.
1: yeah so i oh, go ahead as
0: far as writing goes though i do think there's a hole because they've got all this tech right this is supposed to be this high-tech future you don't think they have tracking systems on all their judges to let them know exactly where they are when they are and what they're doing from like some central hub so the whole framing of the murder yeah that couldn't have worked because all they had to do was pull up uh, Dredd's butt chip and seeing that he was, you know, using three shells somewhere and he <laughs> yeah. got off the hook. Or, or yeah, he, he doesn't have a single alibi. Like, yeah. he's, he, he's probably on duty. You could probably find what he was doing the exact moment that this happened. They don't... Yeah,
1: <sighs> yeah and the whole... You know like,
0: frustrating for me is the thing because there was no attempt at even saying, oh, gee, the, the files have been scrambled. Right. Well, and not oh, to... And only, not to and, he could have done this
2: and not to mention that they make this whole deal about how uh dread and rico are clones of they don't look at all alike no. first of all they they're, they look at even, even if they're yeah even if they're they're, they're clown, clown clones. Yeah, fraternal clones is that even a thing like <laughs> when they make the clones at the at the end they're all like male and female and there's all sorts of different clones it's like that's not how clones work no. that's not a cloning thing
1: no um, and
0: also as far as the writing goes no nothing is better. No, my favorite type of exposition is deathbed exposition.
1: Oh, yes. Oh.
0: And there was there was a fair amount of that there in the, this film when all of a sudden all the beans are spilled to to dread. Yeah. At
2: least at least Max von Sydow could give the map to Luke Skywalker to to Poe Dameron before he went off and got stabbed in the back.
1: Right, yeah. exactly. No, I that was so, as much as I like the um the family the whatever I can't remember their name, the angel family, I think um as like the,
0: deliverance in the, in the, in the desert. yeah deliverance
1: in the desert as much as I like the the family and the idea of oh they they're out in the the cursed lands and they run into these people and they're they're crazy and they're cannibals, and that was one of the things like the only other thing I can think of that would give this an r rating was the charred body in the background of one shot,
2: yeah exactly,
1: but then you have Max von Sydow show back up to get like the grand entrance and then get stabbed and get killed. And it's such a waste of it's it's trope and it's a waste of that character. Like don't oh, I hate I hate that.
2: Well it, it's it's like they t- they had this production bible of this is the world of Judge Dredd <laughs> and they decided we are going to take as much of this as possible and put all of it into the movie, including the ABC robot. That is in the comics, apparently... because This is one, one of the things that I looked up because I was interested in that design. Like, oh, was that the design from the comic? It's a a group of robots that are not from Earth that are sometimes good and sometimes bad. Sometimes mercenaries, depending on the writer. But they, they made it this one thing. And, and again, that's one of the coolest things in the movie. But they did so much stuff they really didn't need to do. And...
0: Like, well, you didn't need any of the cursed lands content. I actually in that just had movie. a thought, and this is just me thinking kind of wildly. But Sylvester Stallone had a, pull, a lot of pull with this movie. Do you think that he did that he pushed for it to get an R rating just so that it could be R and maybe marketable as more of an edgy film?
1: No, movie? see, he was pushing for it to be PG thirteen.
0: Okay, I'm just you're trying to figure yeah. out why it's R because there's, there's not a damn reason for this thing
2: to be R. It, the few times that they have uh, that they have any kind of foul language, it's it's within the PG thirteen.
1: Yeah, it absolutely rankings. is no. I and, they, I,
0: I and and they even hmm? they may as well be yelling "frack" because there's nothing in this.
2: What's funny is there is a guy in the early part when uh, dread goes after the uh, the the group that's that's holed up in that apartment, where a guy says "holy drac." Yes, yeah, that's right. Right.
0: Right. Right. right yes. Right.
2: So they're inventing. Yeah, curse words. Which is which? I I appreciate invented curse words in content. I like it. I think it's great. Uh, I'm wearing one on my shirt right now, but I, if you can't. I don't know where the R comes from this. There are a couple of things that maybe are on the line as far as the amount of gun violence, the amount, like, there's blood, but it's not blood spurting out of anybody that you see. And I, I wonder if there's just, like, a 1995 amount of blood rating. That this well, hit.
1: and and that's what I'm wondering, because when I was doing research on this, it originally got an NC-17 rating, and they had to cut it back. And I can't figure out, like, they apparently had more showing with the, um, the robot killing griffin and they had more with the clones which was all cut where he's fighting the he's actually fighting the clones there was like something more in that that climax scene but i can't imagine anything that would have pushed this to an nc-17 even in 1995 because this is the same year that the rock came out and
0: okay so i'm reading through imdb right now and it says it's r for continuous violent action and so i decided to hit the parental guide and in sex and nudity it says there's one homosexual quip and violence and gore they have it listed as moderate. They don't have it as extreme. They call it moderate. In profanity yeah. they call it mild. Alcohol and drugs mild. Frightening and intense scenes moderate. They're, they're I mean,
1: yeah, there's nothing about this movie to make it R rated, really. Nothing at all. And and not only that, but you have the the s- extremely stylized visuals of it and the sound effects. I mean, the gun sounds don't even sound like guns. It it sounded like a cheap version of what Firefly did with firearms where it's like somewhat futuristic sounding but not this went like to an extreme in that and I I, mean, th- I mean, thought that was silly. So Shred
2: does have to shoot everybody <laughs> six times.
1: That's true. That is true. Maybe that's, Nobody maybe that's
2: part of it. He can't just shoot a guy once and know that they're dead. He's got to
1: yeah, He's got to go full auto with that pistol. That would, if you went full auto with a pistol that size, you would be out of ammunition within a second.
2: So. (laughs) And we all know there's only one time when a gun runs out of ammunition in this movie.
1: Right. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. When the plot demanded it.
2: When the script told it to be. Double whammy. That's another one. Thank you, Phelan, in the chat. Yes. Some of the gun stuff was cool, and then some of it was double whammy. Like, why? That's not.
1: Well, and and I know that in the comics that that lawgiver does do all those things. You can speak to it and get, you know, the rapid fire and the high explosive rounds and all that kind of stuff. I don't know the tech behind it that they try to try to use, but I think that double whammy was actually a comic accurate line for a double Is shot. Like
0: gun and fifth element? Another fifth element line?
1: Uh kind of. Yeah, the 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 gun and fifth element had like the fire um Oh, I can't remember what they called it. But where he talked
0: to it and stuff happened, right?
1: Uh, no, I don't think he talked to it. I think he just was showing off all the different things. Uh, I could be wrong.
0: Zort,
2: blah 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 blah. Yeah. Like rapid fire. Uh, target acquisition. Whatever he says in that movie. And
1: Miles think. in the chat is saying he remembers reading the novelization of the movie when he was younger, and the violence is much more Miles, visceral. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but none of that is in the finished film. And you're right. The like the violence in the in this film is is pg-13 at best it's no worse than a james bond movie and it's funny because ratings the whole rating system i've ranted about it on this show before um you know the movie dogma is rated r and one of the things that the rating board kept telling kevin smith was it's too violent and the thing with that movie is none of the violence happens on screen it's all off screen but they kept telling him it's too violent too violent
0: have you seen the documentary this film is not yet rated yes yeah, I, I love that movie because it pulls the wool away from everybody and talks about just how biased and subjective the ratings board is. There's nothing yeah. objective about
1: it. No, nothing at all, and that bothers me to a to a huge extent because I'm, you know you'll get two movies that can come out in the same year and the same month with, and and the worst part is they don't have to give a reason for any of their things. They can just say nope, this is what it is, and this is the rating we give you, and fix it, and then not tell you what to fix.
2: And I think you can try to get it re rated, but I don't really I can't remember what the process around that is, but
1: Well, so from the way that I understand it, you submit a movie, they give you a rating. That's it. They don't tell you what needs to be cut. They just say, here's a rating and here's the reasons for it, you know, strong the the stuff that you read on the little blurb, like strong sex or, or drug use or whatever. And you have to then figure out what it is. And you can recut it and resubmit it and hope to get the rating that you want. And some films will do that several times to try and get from an R to a PG-13 or from an on NC-17 the commentary, to an R. On the
0: commentary, on the commentary for um, uh, Team America, they talk a lot about putting a lot of things into the film so that was just just they knew weren't going to make it so the mm-hmm. stuff they really wanted would be in there.
1: Yes. <laughs> yep. But that, yep. No,
2: that reminds me of uh, what they said about... Uh, uh, oh my gosh i'm blanking on his name uh director of psycho uh, oh hitchcock hitchcock thank you good lord (laughs) uh hitchcock would cut his films in a certain way that and granted his censors were even more strict than we have today but making his movies in a way that you couldn't cut some of the stuff that he wanted to do like it had to be made in this particular way
0: yeah
1: you know, and directors, they find their ways around a lot of this stuff. Um, Miles brought up, too, David Fincher did, did the same thing in Fight Club, where they would put something that was horrendously worse into the movie, show it to the rating board. The rating board would be like, you can't do that. And then they come back with something that's still terrible, but you can slip it past the rating board. Um, <laughs> we talked a few weeks ago. We did um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and that was one of the things I brought up in that was the character's name, Slarty Bartfast, started out, much more sweary and what what uh cuz the the whole the story started as a radio drama so what uh douglas adams did was he kept submitting names and he would just change like one syllable in it until it finally got something that he could slip past the uh, the censors <laughs> and that's how he came up with Slarty bart fast and stuff like that so it, it that kind of stuff does fascinate me to, to hear how you can get around these censors but God, it's so frustrating to to hear about that kind of stuff. And then a movie like this, I'm sure that while this movie wasn't going to be a blockbuster as a PG-13, it still hurts it to be R-rated. And, and then and
2: maybe they and maybe they gave it that rating because they that movie and said this isn't fit for human consumption. <laughs> we need to keep as many people away from this as possible. This That's is going to so, teach so, our yeah, children yeah. that this is what a good movie
0: is, and we can't have that. That's like Frighteners being uh, rated R. Just because the, the the board got scared, maybe this was yeah. they got scared because it was just so bad, and like we have to limit people to seeing this. It's got to be limited. <laughs> it's going Whatever we can
1: do, long. somebody yeah. think about the children.
0: We'll take <laughs> one to the team. Oh. oh man,
1: yeah, it's definitely and and if anybody's listening to this and wondering why we've gone now, you know, forty minutes without mentioning the 2012 movie Dread yet, yeah, there's a reason for that. We're we're. All three of us are watching that next week, and we're going to talk about it. So we'll have uh, a whole fresh take on this character um, for everybody next week that we still have Judge Dread fresh on your palate. Because,
2: I haven't seen that one either yet, so
0: yeah, fingers so, crossed. Uh, it's going to be another interesting
1: conversation. I saw uh,
0: that in the theater, and uh, I have thoughts.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Um, no, it's... Man, there's, there's so much about this movie that could have been good, I think. Had.
0: Did we see the same film?
1: No, no, no. Potential. <laughs> like the source material and the fact that, you know, the, the potential is there, but then it just. Sylvester Stallone all over the place. Um... I was
0: going to say, where, depending on where you th- saw the potential run away, depends on if we have the same thoughts on this. Mine <clears throat> is the minute someone put pen to paper and said, we're going to make this movie. And put Sylvester Stallone in it. That's when potential ran away.
1: So that, yes, Stallone, once Stallone was involved, that's where the potential fell apart.
0: Okay, all
2: right. Because clearly Stallone wanted to make a very different movie we actually ended up with. I just, I also want to point out, because this hasn't come up yet, there's, we haven't even gotten into the actual plot of this movie yet. Oh, man. (laughs) This movie opens with a James Earl Jones narration Mm -hmm. about the state of the world and yeah. what it is and
1: oh, oh. <laughs> oh um first of all i love i did like that it was james earl jones cuz great voice i can listen to him all the time but yeah it's whenever your movie opens up with a uh, a text crawl and somebody reading it that's usually a bad sign um and that's the you know we got to get our uh, our quick exposition in like right? we got to set the rules we got to tell you what's going on yeah, it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and the plot. So they called the program the Janus program, right? Was the idea to never make more than two uh, two judges? Is that why it was called Janus? Or were they always going to be twins?
2: Well, not not to mention, what what did Rico do to get him in prison?
1: Uh, it caused chaos and killed a bunch of people. I mean, he that's all killed, they ever say.
2: He killed people. I mean, Which, so did dread the entire beginning of the movie.
1: <laughs> right, but Rico killed innocent people.
2: Oh, uh, see, I guess that makes a quote-unquote difference in this
1: in this society. Yes, um, uh, yeah. Why, like, and the fact that he's you know sentenced to death by another judge, but then secretly. Uh, taken away to the Aspen colony where nobody knows, including Max von Sydow, who was the chief justice, doesn't know about this. Like this one uh, head or one top-level judge managed to to keep him. Like talk about playing the long game. He put him away in Aspen for nine years to try and resurrect that program.
2: (laughs) (sighs) There's uh, there's some draft of this movie that works. I, I it, There has to be. I, I can't imagine that anybody would look at this and think, okay, yeah, this is going to work. We're going to green light this for a $90 million budget. Ugh.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, It... It's, it's the Stallone thing. And it's coming off of uh, Demolition Man. And there's a lot of similarities in, in Demolition Man plot wise, if you think about it. Uh, you know, Stallone and his rival, and his rival gets sent away for a period of time and then comes back, frames him for something. Like all of that. Uh, the whole idea of using a clone to frame Judge Dredd, like that only works if Judge Dredd is your adversary. But there's no way that Griffin could have known nine years prior to that. That Judge Dread would be the problem in the future. I don't know. It's
2: yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. Why? Why would? Why would? Why? <laughs> I'm j- oh, oh! This movie is worse than I thought. I, I'm. I will say this movie is a challenge for me as a person who likes to find the the good in things, the salvageable in things. I, I, my show is is has been all about that for for years and i am having the hardest time saying too much positive about this movie i I, it occurs to me now that probably the only reason that judge dread is kicked off the force and banished is just an excuse for schwarzenegger or for schwarzenegger good lord for stallone i just watched terminator two nights ago okay uh, and i love that movie and that Mm -hmm. movie's great yes holds up Mm -hmm. uh and stallone and schwarzenegger have this whole rivalry anyway forgive me him getting ousted from the judge the judging things is just to have him not have to wear the helmet for an hour in the movie yeah
1: probably um i don't know it
0: i guess that would i guess that would really blow up if stallone was playing the mandalorian he'd always have the helmet off <laughs> <laughs> this is not the way okay hang on hang on, hang on, hang on. this
2: is the way <laughs> Yeah, I you gotta you it? gotta
1: have part of your lip paralyzed when you say it. Um and Miles is saying, I'm all in on the bad flicks, I love this terrible movie.
2: Don't don't trust Miles' awful, awful judgment on things.
1: So here's the thing for me. I do not like this movie. I've seen it uh more than once. Um it's not a good movie. I want to like this movie. I want to enjoy, you know, just the cheesy nineties action. Um, But watching it this time, I realized, no, it's just bad. Like, it looks bad. It it looks cheap, which is really sad to say for something that costs $90 million to make.
2: Well, I, I have something to say about that in particular, about the era that it was created in. But oh, continue.
1: And it's... It, It's not good. It's not well acted. It's not well written. Unfortunately, as much as I want to give Danny Cannon uh, a lot of credit for doing what he did with what he had to work with, it's not directed all that well. The music even, um, to me, felt like a Saturday afternoon uh, cable movie type of music. And that's really hard for me to say because it was the music in this movie was Alan Silvestri. Um, who can do some good stuff. You might have heard his music recently in Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. Like, that's him. He did the Avengers movies. He's done, he's sort of the go-to guy. He does like three or four movies a year. It's it, for many, many years. I mean, this the year that this movie came out, 1995, he did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. He did the music for The Quick and the Dead, Judge Dread, Father of the Bride Part Two, and Grumpier Old Men. In the same year.
0: Now Quick, in the, now, Quick in the Dead, I love that movie. That's a Sam Raimi movie that mm-hmm. doesn't have the car or Bruce Campbell in it.
1: Right. <laughs> it's a rare thing. But it, Alan Silvestri, he can do good music. Like, I liked his music in Contact. Um, I like his music in—he did the music for Predator. Um,
0: it, he did Back to the Future, too, didn't
1: he? Yes. Back to the Future back was the, him. Back um, to the
2: Future or Back to the Future too. He did
1: all of them. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Yes. Uh Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he did the music for. Flight of the Navigator. Like he's done some good music. This just felt cartoonish for a product that I know like the source I know enough about the source material to know that that it's not a cartoon. And it just didn't feel right.
0: So I just you know how Danny Cannon wrote Ricochet? Mm-hmm. Alan Silvestri did the music for it. Whoa.
1: <laughs> well, that was actually why Silvestri did the music. They had somebody else originally, and he had to drop out or something, so they brought in Silvestri because he had worked with Danny Cannon before. But um, I just, it amazes me. I'm looking through his IMDb at like 2009. In one year, it was Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and A Christmas Carol in the same year.
2: Hmm. And then I says, mean, is it is it possible, and I will be honest, I don't remember, that the score is fine. You're just completely distracted by the rest of the movie being garbage that
0: nothing about it stands out. Well, and that's the thing, is I think the the, the sound design of the film actually drop, drops the ball too, because it doesn't, it puts focus on things that it maybe shouldn't it puts focus on sound effects when it should be the score it puts focus on the score when it should be dialogue it's, there's some weird mixing that happened there and some weird sound design that happened there that that feels i don't want to say rushed but it might might have been rushed
2: the, well this is that is another problem of this movie is that everything is balanced poorly too so you're listening to you're listening to dread talk to hershey
1: and they're talking like this
2: and you have to turn the volume up on your T V really high in order to hear the thing. And then all of a sudden there are tons of explosions and crashes and gunshots and you've woken your kids up because
0: <laughs> Yeah you Well that just you makes me turn it like up them, so high. That just makes me feel like a lot of the lines had to be done in ADR because the on set sound was probably contaminated with explosions and gunshots and farting and you know, whatever. Oh yeah. Oh, we, sure. we all know
2: that Stallone doesn't like a boom mic. So Yeah.
0: Oh, we know that? That's a thing? <laughs>
2: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> does he want to punching him? Yeah. Uh, it's it's because the boom mic operators have to hold the boom mic too low and right. it hurts their arms so they complain more about it
0: than he does. Uh, yeah, maybe if he was
1: actually off. six foot six it wouldn't be
0: a contraption that blends into his costumes <laughs> that hangs the boom mic up over his head. That way he has his own boom.
1: There you go. Uh, and Miles does bring up a good point, and I do I do agree with this. Uh, the perfect way to watch this movie and enjoy it is not to watch it alone watch it with friends and drinks and you'll have a great time and yes i that i will agree with that this is the type of movie that you can throw in drink (laughs) well yes but it, it is the type of movie that you can sit around with other people and and watch and you'll get some enjoyment out of that that's kind of what i'm saying when i say i want to like this movie is I can take some enjoyment from watching it in the right situation, but as a movie, it's just not good.
2: Well, I, but, but even then, I think there is a "so bad it's good" element to some movies that that Miles is ending on here. But I don't know that this gets there. I think this is just bad. And I, and I, I point out to you know I'm a big Mystery Science Theater fan, mm-hmm. Rift fan. And there are movies that they do that are, wow, this really elevates this movie to something that I enjoy watching now because of those jokes. And then there are movies that just don't work even in the MST3K capacity. And I don't know that this would have enough there to, that's not just Stallone impressions.
1: That That is true. And you're going to get mostly Stallone and Rocky impressions while watching it or making fun of Rob Schneider. I mean I it's I think had it looked a little bit better like the the whole bike chase the the flying bike chase thing really took me out of it cuz that's supposed to be this really intense thing and all I'm seeing is you know the this horrible green screen effect and you can tell it was shot in a in a sound stage like it just it was ambitious but it definitely did not uh get pulled off very well and so it's I it's things like it that that's... that so Go ahead, that
0: scene reminded me of the speeder chase in Phantom Menace, because it's—I feel like it's equally as bad.
1: The one in Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones?
0: Oh, which one is it? Where they're in the city and he's jumping around? That's, the that's Attack that's of clones. the Clones. Yeah, so a, yeah. Oh, nope. Those, those movies all blur together. You know which one I'm talking? <laughs>
1: about. Yeah. No, I. You're not wrong there. Um, as much except, as
2: except at least in Attack of the Clones, the effects look okay. You can
0: salvage something from that. They
1: they look better than this did. I mean, yes,
0: okay, I will give you that, but they're not that much better because it's not that much better.
1: No, and it wasn't that much later either. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, Five years, six years? Yeah, and it's great to be ambitious and try to do something, but, man, if you can't pull it off, it just doesn't work. And this movie, I think, suffered from trying to be a little bit bigger than it should have been. Um, and that's something we'll probably touch on next week um, a little well, bit more. You but
2: you say you say a little bit bigger. Tried to be a little bit bigger than it should have been, but I think that's not exactly true because so much, so much of it did need to be bigger. It just wasn't, and it were it was bigger in the wrong ways. They, we still haven't talked about the plot of this movie. So much. <laughs> We have,
0: though. That's the problem. That, that's I mean, the we're... thing.
1: We've said, like, what can be said about the plot, which is it's bad. Like, it's full of holes. It's it's dumb. You know, the the Judge Griffin, all he wants to do is bring back the Janus Project because he somehow thinks that this cloning idea is going to be great. So what does he do? Well, he, he... doesn't
2: just want to bring back the Janus Project. He wants to implement quicker policies for the death penalty.
1: Right. Right. So it's more it's, it's quicker death penalties. He wants these genetically engineered clone judges. So how does he get about go about doing that? By killing all of the current judges, all of the people that are actually doing the job he wants done. He's going to kill all of them to force the the council to bend to his will. Like
2: because you, because you know dreads like I can't have I can't be killed for this. No, he dread would follow that law immediately yeah he would immediately be pulling his gun on more people that this, this I, there's no there's no logic in this movie and why is the facility responsible for cloning inside the Statue of Liberty can we talk about that
1: <laughs> yeah Um. so one of the things about this movie was the scale of Mega City one is a lot smaller than what the comics made it out to be like in the comics Mega City one is basically the entire eastern seaboard of the United States and yeah, this they, made it look. They showed that map, right? Yeah, and, and in this, it's like New York, New Jersey, and maybe a little bit of Connecticut. Like it's big, it's ridiculously huge for one continuous city, but it's not quite the same thing. But yeah, why why was the secret cloning thing hidden in the Statue of Liberty, which they had like apparently moved at some point to cover up the fact that they were putting? I don't know. I I tried to follow that whole plot thread, and I got lost, and I got like a it, headache. It, it,
2: It's one of those rah-rah Americana things that feels absolutely forced into this movie that didn't need to be there.
0: Or it's one of those things that they do in movies now where they're like, oh, wait a minute. If we do something with an icon, like a a landmark people know, they'll give them something to hang on to. It worked for Planet of the Apes. It's going to work for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that probably is not far off from uh, what actually happened. I don't know it. The, the plot of this movie. X-Men.
0: They even did it in X Men, and I didn't like it in the X Men movie either.
1: No, it because the thing is, like, if you take that out, Ghostbusters two used the Statue of Liberty. Um,
0: uh-huh. See? Now, now we can do a whole subset of films that erroneously used the Statue of Liberty to their own device.
1: Right. Uh, well, and I will counter that with saying the the one shot of the Statue of Liberty in Cloverfield I did like.
0: Oh. Uh- yeah, okay. I'll give you that one, but it didn't move. <laughs> right. And the, the
2: the Statue of Liberty in the uh, Godzilla movie from a few years ago, that was actually the fake Statue of Liberty in Las Vegas and not the real Statue of Liberty. <laughs>
0: that's right, yeah. Was it when Godzilla tried to like hump it like a dog?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, that was the deleted scene. It was an okay, NC-17 right, cut that you right. had to go to the midnight showing. Um, yeah, okay.
1: No, I I think talking about the plot of this movie is just going to serve to make me go cross-eyed because it's be- it's just it's a dumb paint-by-numbers plot that makes zero sense. None of the motivations of anybody to do the things that they're doing make any sense like okay, I get you're trying to show the dichotomy and you've got Dred who is perfectly law-abiding and follows the law to the letter and then you've got Rico who's just chaos. But you can you can use that, in so many better ways than they did in this movie.
2: And and then you've got like, oh, I'm innocent. I'm I, 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 And he's sitting next to Rob Schneider, uh, <sighs> whose character name I still don't uh, On the, the transport, he's like, oh, yeah, so you're innocent, but you're still here. What about me? I was, I, I yeah, I did that thing, but I didn't deserve to be locked up. See, 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 this yeah. is the point
0: we're trying to make. See?
1: Yeah, it was very, very uh, ham-fisted.
0: It's that heavy handed attempted at satire and pointing out the problems with the system that but it fell short because Rob Snyder's delivering your message.
1: Right. Yeah. What worked for Robocop doesn't work in this movie and it's well, the execution of it.
0: Well, the best example Absolutely. of me- what the best example of a message like that being delivered, uh, to great extent is in uh Dark Knight, the second Batman film. When Tiny Lister takes the explosion, the explosive key, and throws mm-hmm. it out of the window, and says, "I just did what we should have done a long time ago," that that takes all the preachiness out of it because it's the right person delivering the right message at the right time.
1: Right. Yes. Exactly. That,
0: that worked, even though it was super preachy and very much pointing you at the audience, going, "See, we're not as good as you think we are." Yeah. You know, but it's it worked because of who did it and how it was done.
1: Yeah, it's execution, one hundred percent, and. This movie just did not have the execution. You, Rob you, Rob Schneider. That's all I can say is Rob Schneider. Like
0: His name is Fergie, by the way.
1: Yes. You know,
0: Fergie. Yeah, oh. he, he's, a black, he's a black IP when he grows up.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Killing bad guys. Hey, it's
2: Dreadman. Dreadster. Oh, man. Some,
1: and, and some of his jokes were just bad. Like the forced uh, homosexual joke. You know, that Hammond mentioned when in the the, um, why this was rated R. And that joke was so bad where he's where they they get back in and he's taking the um, uniform off of the other judge so that he can wear it. And it's just like the We don't have time for this. Like, oh, God, that's terrible. It is so many of those. And that that makes me wonder, like, I almost I want to give Stephen E. D'Souza more credit that he didn't write those jokes in. That Did yes, he
2: write every time that Dredd said, I knew you'd say that? Is, oh, that a, is that a comic thing? Is that a comic thing? I don't know. I
1: don't but, know, but holy hell, was that was... So, okay, it's the rule of threes, right? You have a joke like that, you, you use it three times. And you, you make the joke the first time. It was what I the sound that I played at the beginning uh, of this episode. And then he throws it in there again somewhere else. Um, oh, it's um, – I actually captured them all. But, um,
0: oh,
1: <laughs> but the third one, the third time he says it is just horrendously awful because it makes no sense. It's right at the end of the movie when, when Hershey looks at him and says, it feels good to be human, doesn't it? And he just looks at her and says, I knew you'd say that. What the hell does that even mean? That's not flirting uh, I guess maybe that's what it was supposed to be. I don't know, but oh, man, that was bad. Like, and they, oh, it's only there so that you pay off that joke a third time. Um, well, it's,
0: it's funny though, because the, uh, there are other movies that don't do the rule of threes and use those things more effectively. Like the, uh, Dick, you're fired. And he's like, thank you. And he shoots him out the window.
1: Yeah. That worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the, and that's the thing. Like, you, you can... or,
0: or you
2: or you do the the opposite of the rule of threes where you start with the rule of threes and then you just continue it so much that it becomes a thing that you start to groan at. But as it comes back into play towards the end of the movie, it's like, oh, we're back to that. And it pays yeah. off at that point.
1: Yeah, that I call that the South Park style where South Park <laughs> would do that so much where they'd have a joke and it'd be funny and it'd keep going. And then it would get not funny and then we get a little bit awkward and eventually kind of come back to being funny. Um.
0: Right now, right now, it just felt like he was trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, also, I love when a movie use tries to use any kind of techno-speak, um, in any of these sort of near-future or future movies, um, because it never works, and I had to capture this one. Um, so bear, mo- bear with me on this. But this this made me chuckle a lot, uh, but not in a, the way that they were intending.
0: Somebody must have used a CGI terminal and a scan quad to make this.
1: You're just you're just pointing out how little you know about anything when you put lines like that in a movie.
2: I mean, look, Travis, we all use scan quads on a day-to-day basis it's in right. twenty twenty. We know that now. But it's in nineteen ninety-five, nobody had a scan quad. <laughs> nobody had a, a a transit array, nobody had a a, a, a quantum fibulator.
1: <laughs> it's true. But how can a movie have a line that cheese ball and yet There was one line in this movie that I did like. And it's an an Armand Sante line. Um, And I just... I don't know why. I just like this one. But um, it was this. Guilt and innocence is a matter of timing. That's actually good. That's that's a good line that in a better movie I think would have landed and actually been something that, that you could get behind. But instead it's in this piece of crap
0: i'm gonna point out a flaw in your logic and say that's just one step away from there's a fine line between stupid and brilliant from spinal tap
1: well you're not wrong i'm not (laughs) like i'm not going to dispute that but in a better movie in a in a movie that embraces that um the kind of hyper violence and satire that that judge Dredd. um has in the comics from everything that I've read, I think that line can play a lot better. And that's why I captured it. Cause I was like, eh, there's some, that's that whole potential of like, I want to give Stephen E. D'Souza and Danny Cannon some credit for trying to do something that just got completely blown off the rails. Um,
2: I wish you hadn't brought up RoboCop at the beginning of talking about this movie, because that's such a better movie.
1: Oh yeah. No, totally.
2: And, and I can see the, 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 the connective tissue between the two now. And, Oh, uh, it just it hurts. <laughs> it, this
0: hurts physically thinking about this. Movie. <laughs>
1: well, here, I'll I give you one, it,
0: but I'm going to bring it up again next week because I have thoughts.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I almost feel like between now and then I should watch uh, the remake of, um, or the reboot of RoboCop as well. Do Cause that, I, because that's part of my thoughts. Okay. Um, so, I have one other audio clip that I, w- I have to play it because it's, in it, it's a little bit longer. It's about 20 seconds long, but this is just a supercut I put together of Stallone trying to say the word law in this movie. <laughs> so, bear with me on this. This is totally worth it. This is my law supercut. It's about 20 seconds long. The only
0: difference between us, Joseph, is you destroyed your life to embrace the law. And I destroyed the law to embrace life. He worships the law. I am the law! I am the law! You betray the law! Law! Mr. I am the law.
1: Okay, the last one was Rob Schneider. (laughs) But, yeah, that was Armando, that was your two leads trying to say, like, the most pivotal word in the script for this film, and neither one of them can do it. (sighs) Ah. Travis,
2: I'm trying not to hold this against you. So <laughs> making me watch this movie. Well, but you he know,
0: volunteered. he didn't hold a gun. That's true. This was your choice no. as much as it was mine. Hammond, here's the law.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I part of why I do this show is I love showing people a new movie that they haven't seen before, and I love it when they enjoy that movie and this is the second one now this is number two on my list of shame uh, the last one was Tank Girl which also happened to be a mid-90s movie based on a British comic so maybe I should just stop showing those um, but the I had I had three people on that episode and none of them liked that movie um, <laughs> but Miles I'll agree with you I, I, I can't say Tank Girl is amazing but I like the movie
2: um, my, I, Miles love, has a Unnaturally high tolerance <laughs> for bad things.
1: Well, Tank Girl. He's been my
2: he's been my friend for years, so I can <laughs> that says anything.
1: Tank Girl, I will watch again. I I will be happy if I never have to watch Judge Dredd again, um, because it's just it's not a good movie. Um, but I appreciate you uh, taking one for the team and watching it, Drew, because. Uh, <laughs> When you uh, both of you this week, you mentioned that you had watched it, and um, I think Hammond, you you had said like I have thoughts.
0: No, no, I've never. I, oh, the one next week.
1: Well, you you mentioned that you had thoughts about that one, but you after you finished this one, you were like, uh, I've got some things I want to say about it.
0: Yeah, I do. I, I've got. I, I wanna. I wanna wait till we get on that topic, though. I don't want to derail us. We're talking about a classic, a 1995 action classic, right now. <laughs> oh, I, I, again, I just I. I I want to
2: return to nineteen ninety-five and there are a number of movies that take place in this this ninety-four to ninety-eight time frame. Uh the Godzilla movie that came out at that point, the uh Escape from LA, uh, that movie. Um a hey, watch your mouth with Escape from LA. I will not, sir. I <laughs> I have feelings about Escape from LA. Uh this this movie, there is this and you talked you talked a lot uh, about about sound stages, and this was clearly shot on a sound stage. Mm-hmm. And it seems like back, you know, in the the early days of cinema, everything was was almost like they just filmed on a stage. It, it's all very, you know, flats and stuff like that. And then we moved into a more grounded, realistic, uh, you know, in almost the beginnings of the independent film movement in the '60s and '70s, and then we get back into we get to the nineties and all of a sudden effects are a much bigger thing. And there is this artificial nature of a lot of these movies that they don't even try to do anything to ground it in any kind of, of realism. And it's hard to say that about a movie about a a judge flying around on a motorcycle in a post-apocalyptic world, but but they they're just they didn't even take any steps to do that. And there are movies from that time that work like Starship Troopers which is in it, an in and of itself a a satire mm-hmm. in a way that this isn't. And it works for that. Again, Paul Verhoeven RoboCop um interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It it just it feels even more hollow because of that.
1: Well, in you know 1995, so here were the top 10 movies that you're just giving you an idea of what else was coming out when this movie did. Going from 10 to 1, Jumanji, Waterworld, Casper, Seven was the same year as this movie. Hmm. Batman Forever, which is probably as close to Judge Dredd as you're gonna get in terms of like a style. Yeah, um for sure. Pocahontas, Goldeneye, Apollo 13, Toy Story, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Those all those those ten movies came out the same year as this. Batman Forever feels like it was made the same way that Judge Dredd was. The rest of those, like, we've covered uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance on this show. That movie looks great in part because it was all shot on location. But even the stuff that was shot on stages, like, a lot of Goldeneye would have been. Uh, Apollo 13 was a ton of stage work, right? But it's also scale-wise, it's all self-contained. And that's where I sort of say, like, they, they tried to go too big with the movie, with the way they were shooting it. That's sort of what I meant by that. Like, if you're going to shoot a lot and you have to shoot in sound stages to do it, shrink down the scale of your movie.
0: Wait, go back and read the top, like, up to seven again.
1: Uh, Jumanji, Waterworld, Casper.
0: That's the one I wanted to bring up. Casper is actually not a bad movie. No. It has one really crappy costume choice at the end. But other than that, I don't mind that film.
1: No, and it looks really good. I mean, I it, haven't yeah, seen I
2: it since it, it was out in in the '90s, so I I, I can't speak to it myself. But yeah. I remember enjoying that movie.
0: It has one really questionable costume decision at the end, but other than that, it's fine.
1: Yeah, no, and and that's the thing. Those that's ten movies of which I would say, watching them now, the only one that doesn't hold up for me is Batman Forever. I watched that. I don't know, maybe a year ago or so and i realized how how schumachery that was in terms of that's val kilmer yeah
2: that's val kilmer's movie i watched that a few years ago as well i think back on that more fondly to that rewatch than i did to watching it a decade ago um but but again i think it's it's also it's bigger and more cartoony and more comic booky in a way that Schumacher made fit what was going on, in a way that no care was taken for that with Judge Dredd.
0: I still think though that Val Kilmer would would have made a great Bruce Wayne and Batman in a better film. I
2: agree with that. I think I think Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne and Batman were actually pretty good. Um, just and and let's also face it, a lot of our opinions, or at least a lot of my opinions on this, is based on memories of Batman and Robin.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Is awful. Yeah.
1: Well, because that took everything That doesn't mean that? Yeah, Batman and Robin just took everything to a like a 11, right? It just just turned it way too far in that direction. And I this this movie kind of started going that way too. Um it just didn't like it didn't do enough of anything to be like it wasn't so bad it's good, but it also wasn't good. It just I don't know. It it could have been something really cool. Even with Stallone, I think I think if you had a young Stallone right before he became, you know, Rambo, before he became Sylvester Stallone, when he was, you know, young and hungry, you get a much different thing than you do by the time he's uh you know, nineteen ninety five and he's a huge so we're star.
0: Game. We're doing this game. Let's pick your eighties 80s- Action icon that you would rather see in this role than him
1: in this role Kurt, rather than him 80s action icon, Ooh.
0: Kurt Russell. Ooh, that's a really good one, that's a fantastic oh, one. I was thinking mm-hmm. Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Dolph Lundgren would again, but you'd have to deal with the accent, yes. But he also has the chin, yeah,
1: right? And the true, thing is, true. you could get Dolph Lundgren to keep the helmet on the whole time,
2: mm-hmm. yes. Kurt Russell, I don't know. That's a, that's, that's an up and a down. I, I think Kurt Russell could have pulled off the formats that they're going for. Um,
1: Especially like mid to late eighties into mid nineties, Kurt Russell. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, that's yeah. a, that's a really good choice. Um,
0: and, it would have been, and he's funny enough that the funny would have still been funny. Yes. Yeah. He's got,
2: he's charming. He's, he's.
1: I think I'm, that's I'm like, the thing. I,
2: like Kurt Russell.
1: I think that's what it is. The, the, you mentioned that the humor was super forced, which all of it is. But I also don't get the charm from Stallone in something like this. That I don't think other been actors have as charming. That's right. One thing
0: he's never been described as. He might be a force of nature on film. He could be a powerhouse. He's never been described as warm and charming on film, though.
1: That's yeah. true. And and think about like the movies that he's remembered for actually doing a good job in Rocky, or um, Cobra. Which I mean this was basically future Cobra, right? Yeah, it was. Um, Stop her
0: my mom will shoot. <clears throat> rhinestone. Oh boy. I win.
1: I'm I'm not <laughs> topping that. No. Um my my eighties action star, man. See you guys mentioned Lundgren and you mentioned uh Kurt Russell. I don't I don't know where I can go from there. I mean, I could say Arnold because he was actually up for this, you know, like everyone. Like every other movie made from 1982 to
2: 1997, the, the problem is with Arnold is I would see the same. Like I think Arnold would do a better job, mm-hmm. but I see the same problems. kind of yeah. I see the same problems. You want to make oh, it yeah. more fun. Mm-hmm. You Want to have some one-liners. It, it, it they they have a uh, uh, like you see Dread walk into a crime scene. He has to go and solve another crime. He's like I'll be back. You got I, all the other.
0: It's the same Arnold thing whistles. if Van Dam were doing it. It
2: would be a, a, the same problem. Yeah, Van Dam or uh, Van Dam's Dread would need to do a
0: split from two chairs,
1: right, and, and a spinning back kick to to knock him out of the Statue Actually, of Liberty.
0: Straddle two motorcycles flying. That's what <laughs> yes, he would have done. That's exactly and what he, he would have done. If
2: you think that St- Stallone couldn't keep the helmet on, Van Damme would never. The Dread <laughs> costume would be completely different. Yeah,
1: um, you know who could have been a a good dread uh he's a lot thinner but um michael bean
0: yeah but he would have had to die Eh,
1: and true
2: (laughs) well i mean that's that's not true michael bean did not die in
0: in uh aliens no what aliens oh that's true and he didn't die in national treasure either
1: but he was in national treasure
0: wasn't he? Wasn't he the bad? Are, are we getting are no, we you're, getting Michael Bean no, and Sean Bean? You're you're oh, conflating okay, Michael Bean Michael and Dean. Sean Bean. Oh, you're talking about the guy from Terminator. Yes. He would have been great. He yes. would've
1: he could have pulled this off. I think he would have been good.
0: Sorry. <laughs> I got confused with my beans.
1: Well it's a, it, yeah, and it's hard because it's a bean and a bean. So yeah. they're so close. No, not I, Chuck, I, Chuck Norris. Good God no, Phelan. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I would <laughs>
2: imagine <laughs> if will Luke... <laughs> Imagine if Walker, or Texas Ranger, were a judge.
1: <laughs> you know, Miles brings up Rowdy Roddy Piper. I would rather have Rowdy Roddy Piper than Chuck Norris by far. Um, he did.
0: Welcome to frog t- uh, Hell in Frogtown, or Hell Comes to Frogtown, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a proud owner of that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's one I've only listened to.
2: I haven't seen.
1: Oh, Rowdy Piper though, I'll tell you, in that um They Live, he's great.
2: They live, another movie I haven't seen, Travis. Oh.
1: Alright, adding it to the list. <laughs> I'll be calling you later. Um well, you know what? This was uh this was a hell of a conversation. And um what do you say we do it again next week?
0: You know? Only next week on my calendar.
1: Yeah, next okay, week we'll watch West? uh Dread.
0: As we flip around, let me just how about Wesley Snipes? Ooh, you know, Ooh. you
1: know. Mid '90s Wesley Snipes, I could see.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I'm okay. into that. All right. I like it. No tongue in cheek. I'm dead serious. Wesley Snipes, dread.
1: Oh no, I, I'm with it. Oh you. no,
0: I'm way, I'm way into that. I, I, I like.
1: Because the thing is, he can play that stoic uh, character. I mean, the way he plays Blade in the first two Blade movies um, mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm thinking of, as because yep. he can play that totally.
2: And they could still have him get sent off to aspen penal colony but for tax evasion
1: there you go the movie writes itself
0: (laughs) all right i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no that's
1: (laughs) no absolutely um look i thank you guys for coming on this was a ton of fun um sorry the movie wasn't better but you know now you've seen judge Dredd, so you can can say that um so we do this show uh every week so uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time, uh, streamed live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis. Uh, and then it comes out as a podcast uh, Wednesdays um, at TV's Travis You can go uh, forward slash subscribe and, and get it anywhere because searching for weight you haven't seen on iTunes gives you very little. Um, I didn't think that through when I named the show. <laughs> uh, but um I want to give you guys a, a chance to plug something to yourself. So, um, Drew, go ahead. Uh what where can people find you?
2: Uh so you can find me. Uh I don't have much of a social media platform. However, I am on two different podcasts. One is Cosmic Crit, the Starfinder-based uh podcast. Uh just started our third season not that long ago. Uh if you want to take take a look back, we've got a ton of characters. It's a tabletop RPG based on Starfinder, which is uh long story short it's like D, but in a sci-fi fantasy universe which yeah is really it's a
1: awesome. lot i love starfinder um we have a, a campaign we're going to be re uh relaunching our starfinder campaign here pretty soon so i love that you're doing a show on that
2: yeah well, uh, not just a show our our gm patrick brennan is actually the author of the first book of uh, uh attack of the swarm which is one of the latest adventure paths uh so that is uh awesome that's really cool and, and uh One thing that I am super proud of, and I am glad to be coming on this week, because it's back. Uh, The More You Nerd, the podcast that I started years ago now, has been on hiatus for about a year. And Miles, who you have seen in the chat room tonight, uh, piping in, he's my co-host on that. We brought it back. It is back as of this week. We just released our first episode of our new revamp, uh, and our episode two will actually be out the day that this drops on on the different services, uh, and cool. we're focusing on best returns because we're returning to the form. And so our first episode is on Star Trek: The Motion Picture and how it brought back Star Trek as a as a franchise and really founded as a franchise. And the next episode is on God of War, the PS four game from from last year. And how it brought back that uh, and more fun stuff to come from there. So please check us out. com at nerd on Twitter.
1: Very cool. And Hammond, how about you? Where can people find you?
0: Um, I'm, I, I do be on the playlist. It's an interview show where I talk to people who make a living in creative fields. I uh, just released an episode with uh, Terrence Keith, who's the lead, lead singer of a band called Dead Superstar. Uh, um I do soundography with Brian Ibbett. I think our Extreme episode's coming out tomorrow as we record. Um, I produce America's Next Top Podcasting Idol and Women Kick Ass. And I'm just around doing stuff with mixters and behind the scenes things.
1: Yes. And I didn't mention that at the top of the show, but yeah, you were the producer on ANTP. And both Drew and I were season two contestants. And
0: for a little while at least. <laughs>
1: and that was a great I had experience.
0: I any of that.
1: no 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 you were you were just busy trying to edit down all the crap we would send you every week yep um one thing that i want to mention before we go is um there is a podcast called the epic film guys and they have been doing now for the last three years and this will be their fourth year a live stream for the cure where they raise money for cancer awareness and cancer research and that is coming up may 28th to may 31st uh, and their goal this year is to raise ten thousand dollars for cancer research they're going to be streaming uh, 12 hours a day for four days. So um, check that out at live for the curecom or twitter.com forward slash livestream the number four cure. Um, that's a, a really cool thing that I just found out about, and um, I just wanted to give a plug for that because I think that's a great thing. And the Epic Film guys, I have uh, listened to a couple of their shows, and they're they're great. So I want to thank both of you for being on this week. This was a ton of fun. Uh, next week we're doing Dread, so come back for that. That's going to be... Uh, Another interesting conversation, to say the least. Um, another movie based on the same thing. And all I'm going to tell you, Drew, because Hammond, you've seen it, but... I have. It is not the same type of movie. That's all I will tell you. <laughs> so come back, uh, listen to that. That's going to be great. And then the week after that is going to be... Uh, I found somebody who's never seen Top Gun before. So, wow. Yeah, we're going gonna... to...
0: Leak them into the danger zone. Exactly.
1: So that'll be a lot of fun. So that's kind of what's coming up in the next couple weeks uh, for this show. But um, until the next episode, next week, where we watch Dread, uh, I just like to say to uh, everybody to enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen.
2: just knock on the wall and say hello cursed earth pizza can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer ladies and gentlemen the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure and this year we need your help more than ever Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it.
0: Together, we can make a difference.